Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. And we are delighted to have you here for worship. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please send your name so you're aware of your presence. And we can greet one another by name at the conclusion of the worship. If you wish to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister today on duty is Gretchen, and she's available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Take a look at the bulletin for upcoming events and additional announcements. I know there's an event for the poinsettia sale starting today. Um, We have two announcements today. Good morning. So I just want to let everybody know that we have a special guest next Saturday here in the sanctuary. He will be here from 10 to 11:30 and it's Santa. So, if you need Christmas photos with Santa, family photos, this is not a members only. Please invite friends to come. It's going to be right here in the sanctuary, very relaxed. Bring your own camera and come in and take as many photos as you need with Santa on Saturday from 10 to 11:30. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, On behalf of the uh, Stewardship Commission, I'd like to provide an update on the 2016 Stewardship Campaign. Uh, As of uh, Tuesday, the 24th, uh, we had received 225 pledges, totaling $580,000, for which we're extremely appreciative and grateful for your generosity. Um, We are, at this point, about $45,000 behind where we were when we ended the campaign for 2015. So if you uh, haven't had an opportunity and would be willing to complete a... uh, a commitment card, you may do so and either leave it in the offering or send it to the church office, or if it's more convenient, uh, you can go online through our website. Uh, I would also like to uh, express the appreciation for many members who contribute to the church uh, during the year and uh, are not in a position to formally pledge, because really it is just the combined support of all of our members through their time and their talent and their treasure that allows us to be a blessing to others, just as we've been blessed. Thank you very much. Please join us in the fellowship hall after the service for refreshments. We will now begin the service with the prelude.
God has sent us a sign. God has invited us to make room in our hearts. When we are too busy, when we are lost, when we are sad, when we are bitter, when we are at war with philosophies, enemies, friends, family, or inwardly with ourselves, May we see the signs, read them, but not misread them. Let us worship God. Please join me in prayer. Most High God, we see signs of shaking and change on the earth and in the skies, chaos and crises, devastation and distress, darkness and death loom around us, but we come together here with faith that conquers fear, faith that you are with us, a very present help today and our hope for tomorrow. We gather in community to affirm our faith, trusting in the promise of Jesus that redemption is drawing near, that a new day is on the horizon. This is cause for joy and thanksgiving as we worship today. Thank you for your sign of hope. Amen. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, and we want him to come now. We're not very patient people, are we? And you've probably noticed 
Christmas decorations were up in Wegmans the moment the Halloween candy was put away. And yet here we are, recognizing that God is gracious to us, patient with us, and encouraging us to be patient and hopeful for the real gift that is coming. Recognizing that we can be patient, recognizing that we need help for that, let us together use this printed prayer. Forgive our impatience, Lord God. Forgive our tendency to take things into our own hands and to look for swift, simple solutions to all our problems. Instead, teach us your slower, subtler, more sensitive approach. Taking time, adding love to intelligence, and trusting you, especially in this Advent, when we remember how unpredictably but how triumphantly you acted to set things straight. Give us patience. Help us trust that in hope you will come to us in your good time. Amen. In Christ, our redemption draws near. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Christ Jesus, we are made a new creation. We can begin again to live in faith, to work to rebuild the world God intends, and to speak the truth of God's love and forgiveness. Thanks be to God. There are several interpretations for the symbolism of the Advent wreath. The underlying principle is the accumulation of light as an expression of the growing anticipation of the birth of Jesus Christ, who is seen as the light of the world in the Christian faith. In many churches, the candles represent hope, peace, joy, and love. Other Traditions identify candles as prophet's candle, the Bethlehem candle, the shepherd's candle, and the angel's candle. Good job. 
This year, we return to some of our traditional roots with a bit of a twist as we engage with our windows of light. The windows, like the lighting of our wreaths, will build week upon week. We will do this similarly with our Advent calendar. Actually, our calendar will be lit by the star. We have been looking at the stars all fall, but on this first Sunday of Advent, we recall a special star that appeared in the sky. As we light this candle today, we begin to prepare ourselves for the day when God comes to save us. And this we hope. And so this candle reminds us to turn from sin and receive the gift of God's pardon and grace through Jesus Christ. May the light of hope begin to flicker. Not only this candle, but on our faces shine that we might be saved. Let us pray. O God of hope, Emmanuel, God with us, we pray you to send your light into our hearts at this time. Help us to be ready for the day and the hour of Christ's final appearing. Live in us and help us to live in you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, transform us so that our worship, our celebration, and our time of preparation may be pleasing unto you, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Kelly, Lauren, and Ryan. Much appreciated this morning. Our Old Testament lesson is taken from Jeremiah, and it's a prediction that we've long awaited of Christ's coming. I invite you to hear God's word to you. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're going to invite children to come up into the chancel. And we have several things to do today while you come up. And um, some of those are really going to be directed by... Craig Kunkel, who does Christian education for us, he has had a very busy week, actually, since um, uh, other people have been celebrating Thanksgiving, but Craig's been really, really busy. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, our Advent wreath and why we have all of these pages of the Bible up here and what all of that means. So, Craig, is your sound system on? I think so. Yeah. Good. I flipped the switch. So during 
Advent, and Advent is waiting. We do a lot of waiting, don't we? Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff we're waiting for. Um, but we're also waiting for God to do something new. And that's, it's a time we remember that God's going to do something new and we look forward to it. Up here, these white paper things, those are actually um, recycled Bibles that the paper's been taken out and put up there. Now, they weren't usable anymore, so we didn't want to throw them away. We wanted to use them for something special, right? So those are... But they're, they're going to have themes for each week, all right? But the tricky part is, and I'm going to light them up in a minute. The tricky part is when I light them up, there's going to be a hint in there what's under the first door in the Advent calendar. So you're going to have to take a look at them. Each week, there'll be a hint. So when they light up, you can start to think, hmm, when the pastor opens the next door for this week, what's going to come up? And you can start to guess. But at the same time, at the end, there's going to be three of them. At the end, when they're piled together, they make something different. Let me give you an example. What does that look like? The letter Y. This one's tough. What does this look like? X. Maybe an X. What does this look like? A candle. Okay, what's it going to look like when I pile them up? Mm. Let's see. I put that one on there. Somebody actually had it. And I put this one on there. So now what is it? See, you put them together and they make something. So when you see this one, this one's just the first layer. And what you have to do is also try to guess, if I have more pieces, what will the final one be? Okay, so I'm going to turn that on first, and then I'll tell you about the Advent calendar. So hold on. Start you thinking here. You see all the symbols in there? And there's a word hope. You saw that in the... If you were listening, you heard that word several times today because it's for today. Um, I see a camel. Do you see the camel? Shepherd. There's a heart, maybe. And there's some stars. So for the Advent calendar, if, if you don't have one of these, I have more. Okay, we have some left. We're going to open this door today. All right? No, you looked already? Um, this one you're supposed to open on Wednesday. See the number two? So if it's December 2nd, you open number two. If it's December 3rd, you open number three. So you have to wait good theme, uh, to Wednesday to do number two, all right? So, so what do you think's under door number one? Let's see. Open it up. Oh, there you go, it is. Now, you try to find the same sticker on the back. Some of them are going to be hard because it only shows part of the picture, so you're going to have to figure it out. And then you put it in the seam. Okay, so let's, yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. Oh, and Craig, guess what? Yes. You know, this star was really seen by some people early on, but they didn't know what they were seeing. And who was it who saw the star? Who saw the star? 
wise men in the east. Did you know that they are in the sanctuary with us today? You have to hunt to find where are the wise men. Look up in the balcony on this side. They have showed up. They have there on the balcony railing. Yeah, those are the three wise men. And they're going to be finding their way around the church. <laughs> yeah, they will find their way around. And we, they won't really make it very well to the front here until Epiphany. The three little colored pieces. Three little colored pieces up there. So there's all kinds of things to be looking for. All right, let's, let's pray. Dear God, as we wait for you to do something new in the world, we hope that there'll be peace, we hope that there'll be joy, and we hope that everyone will have love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you can go back and sit with your parents, all right? Um, and if they say you can, then we'll be in Fellowship Hall if, if you need to, okay? Paul must have been anticipating Craig's hard work because Paul's letter to us today is all about thanksgiving. I invite you to hear God's word to you. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see your face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in a love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that they catch you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope that you did, too. Um, I'm grateful that we did not have to fly, particularly to portions of the Midwest. Maybe you've heard it. A new airport scanner may be soon scanning your anxiety along with your unmentionables. If you've had to catch a flight more recently, you're no doubt aware of the increasing hassle it is. You have to get from long-term parking lots to the departure gate, let alone the potential flight delays or cancellations once you finally get to the airport. You start the whole process by wedging yourself and your bags along with a lot of other weary travelers into this parking shuttle, which takes you to the terminal. And then inside, you no longer can talk directly to a person at check-in. You have to use one of those infernal computer kiosks. Frequently, it does not recognize you or your flight, causing you to have to flag down an agent anyway. Then you get to security where you're asked to take out your baggie of embarrassing personal hygiene items, pull out all of your electronics, and do a virtual public strip tease before going through the metal detector. That goes off because you forgot the 75 cents in your pocket, causing the fellow to put you in a special area where they spread eagle you while he pats and wands you down like some shoeless criminal. It's all for the sake of safety. But as if you aren't stressed out enough, by this whole process, some experts are now looking at ways to measure your anxiety as you stand there debelted, disheveled, and shoeless. They're doing this to determine whether you're exhibiting the stress of a would-be terrorist or merely the anxiety of a parent who has just dragged three screaming children past the terminal gift shop. While we now have to walk through metal detectors and bomb sniffers, the next thing we're going to have to face is what some people are calling an anxiety machine. It uses FAST, F-A-S-T, Future Attribute Screening Technology that works on the same principle as a polygraph. That is, it looks for changes in body temperature, pulse, and breathing. The difference is that a polygraph, in that the subject answers questions while the machine simply tests people as they walk through. So it's a little different from a polygraph. In practice, people whom the machine identifies as suspiciously stressed would then be taken to another area interviewed in front of a camera that measures minute facial movements to determine whether or not you're telling the truth. All of this makes the rest of the shoe-shucking, belt-removing process sound like It's hassle-free by comparison. Even though the machine is a few years from possibly being fielded, it has its critics. (laughs) Some people do not believe the machine will work because it will be subjecting innocent travelers to what amounts to a medical exam, bringing up a whole host of privacy issues. 
Others doubt the reliability of the technology itself. What determines your heart rate is a whole bunch of reasons besides hostile intent. That's the writing of Timothy Levine, a Michigan State University expert on deceptive behavior. Reasons like being late for your flight might make you a bit anxious, right? It's the reason the behavioral profiles don't work. Think about it. If this thing was waiting to scan us at the airport today, there's a pretty good chance that most of us would wind up setting the thing off. We've got terrorists running around in France and Mali and just about anywhere else you can imagine. We've got ice storms and heavy rain. Every day we hear about the looming disaster of global warming. Or just for the moment, we have the specter of El Nino. I have decided that if anything goes wrong in my life, I'm just going to blame it on El Nino. We get daily mail reminding us to get our flu shots and what to do if a stranger is knocking at our door or tries to steal our credit cards. We've got plenty of political candidates insulting the public, and there our personal lives are stressed, let alone, what are we going to do if we forgot to take our toothpaste and put it in a little baggie and left it in a suitcase instead. Chances are pretty high. Most of us would set off all the bells and whistles on this little machine. Jesus told us to expect this. Right? We have to remember Jesus warned there'd be days like this. When you flip open that apocalyptic passage in Luke 21 that we read this morning, you will notice that there's anxiety all over the place, and not just the kind that comes from missing a flight. Jesus is talking here about the kind of anxiety that would cause people to miss the signs of their own in-flight arrivals. So we've got to be ready. I don't know if there's anybody here who remembers Jeff Hostetler. He once played with the uh, New York Giants. At the beginning of his career, Jeff was a backup quarterback. By the end of his seventh season, he had thrown fewer than 100 passes in the seven years, and none of them had any bearing on the outcome of any game. Then Phil Simms, the starting quarterback of the Giants, went down with an injury, and coach Bill Parcells looked to his backup quarterback on that bench and said, Okay, Jeff, it's your turn. Jeff Hostetler ran onto the field and led his team to victory, not only in that game, but in the remaining two games of the season. If you are a Bills fan, You might recall that one of those two games was an NFC championship against the San Francisco 49ers. Hostetler was playing. He was injured in the fourth quarter when Jim Burt tackled him below the knees. Although his knee was injured on the play, Hostetler was able to walk off the field on his own 
and after some work with the trainer, came back on and led the team to two late scoring drives, culminating with a Matt Barr field goal and a 15-13 victory. And the next week, it was the relatively untried Jeff Hostetler standing in for Phil Sims, who led the Giants past the favored Buffalo Bills in Super Bowl 25 in a 20-19 victory. I watched the game from Ohio. One day I encountered Jeff at a Monday luncheon for football fans. It was my job to give the blessing for the lunch. I learned that during those seven years, when Jeff Hostetler was in waiting, he threw thousands of passes through a swinging tire. During those seven years Jeff was in waiting, he threw thousands, not only of those passes, but he threw them to wide receivers and running backs in countless practice sessions. He was sharpening and honing his skills. He lifted tons of weights. He did hundreds of push-ups and sit-ups. He jogged many miles, and he did numerous wind sprints. I learned from another observer that Jeff literally spent hundreds of hours poring over the playbook of the Giants, studying not only his own offense and defense, but the defenses and offenses of the opponents they would play. And when Coach Parcells turned to Jeff Hostetler and said, Okay, Jeff, it's your turn, Jeff Hostetler was ready. We are at the beginning of that season of the year, Advent. It's a time to be prepared. It's a time to get ready. And the Latin derivative of the word Advent literally means to come. During these weeks, we will focus our attention on the coming of Christ into the world. We consider the words of the prophets and their expectations for the coming Messiah. We ponder the meaning also of those texts in the New Testament that speak of Christ's return to rule, to judge, and to save at the end of time. We are looking for the signs. We live in a time when we're surrounded by signs. I know a song from the 60s. It said, sign, sign, everywhere a sign, blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do you do this? Don't do that. Can't you read the sign? You remember that? Maybe you're older. And you grew up in an era before interstate highways. Most travel back then was done on two-lane roads. Along those highways, they were often find posted a series of five small red signs with white letters. And they usually contained a very short humorous poem on four of the signs. And then the fifth sign was reserved for the sponsor. You know what I'm talking about. Those are the Burma Shave signs. For example... Drove too long, driver snoozing. What happened next is not amusing. Burma shave. Around the curve, lickety split. Beautiful car, wasn't it? 
vermicelli. If you need more of them, I printed a few more in the front of the bulletin so you can remember Burma-shaved signs. What's fascinating to me is I have yet to meet a man who ever used Burma-shaved. <laughs> and if you want to find some, if you go in the, in the Menden Hills down along uh, Strong Road, you'll find a few Burma-shaved signs. Sign, sign, everywhere a sign. We're looking for them. A sign of what to do. One Christmas, Patricia had planned to attend the family reunion in Florida. It had been years since the members of the family had all seen each other, and um, many of them were living in different parts of the world, and they were all going to gather in Florida. So she decided that she would help put together this reunion, and she would drive there rather than fly. And as she drove, she liked to talk to friends on her mobile phone, and she listened to tunes in the radio that would play through her iPod. And as she was driving, she missed a sign and missed a turn. And Patricia, well, she got to the reunion, but she got there late and missed seeing a lot of the family. She hadn't paid attention to the sign. You go back to the year 1941. Two American soldiers observe something unusual on their radar. They report this to their supervisor, a rather young, inexperienced lieutenant. It was a peaceful Sunday morning, nobody else around, and this young lieutenant thinking, What they had seen on the radar were just something from California. Don't worry about it. They should have worried a little bit. Those two soldiers saw 353 planes on their way to Pearl Harbor. They reached there approximately two hours later on December the 7th. And a lot of people will remember that next Sunday. Signs are important. The text began, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And on the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming in the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, do not fear. Lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. Sounds so strange. Particularly for a young boy that was taught to duck and cover when things like that come. To stand up, stretch, to lift one's heads, because the redemption is drawing nigh. Let me tell you something apocryphal. Uh, That means I cannot vouch for the authenticity of what I'm about to tell you. Uh, But it was relayed to me by David Crawford. David was the director of student relations and director of continuing education at Princeton Theological Seminary, an independent graduate school that is just dwarfed and surrounded by Princeton University. 
David was an incredible person to know, and I got to know him best after graduating. He was the kind of person who went out on the fourth week of Advent and bought a poinsettia for every international student at the seminary, over 80 of them, and decided that international students at the university later should also get them, so he bought hundreds, and he and his wife delivered them. David was a fan of Princeton University football and basketball. He never missed a game. He got to know the players personally, often hosting them in his home for supper. One year, he tried to convince Bill Bradley to come to the seminary. Bill, you may know, has been an executive with Starbucks, but before that, he was a United States senator, a professional basketball player with the New York Knicks, a gold medal winner in the 1964 Olympic team that led um, uh, a championship game in, in the Olympics. He played for the Princeton University Tigers basketball team. He took them to the Final Four NCAA tournament. And Princeton's team, by the way, was one of the few where all of the players had to attend class. Would it be theological seminary or some other graduate school? Bill was trying to decide what to do, and David Crawford tried to convince him to come study theology. He wasn't so convincing. Bill Bradley accepted a Rhodes Scholarship and went to Oxford. But when he came back to Princeton, which was frequent, he came and played pickup basketball at the old rickety Whiteley Gymnasium at the seminary. There were three American basketball players attending the seminary who were all Americans from the colleges and universities they had attended. That's why Bill Bradley came. He liked to play with them. According to David, the seminary's pickup team scrimmaged the university to help them get ready for intercollegiate play. And here was a seminary. They had only one practice before playing the university team that had been practicing all year. And the seminary pickup team cleaned the university team's clocks. Little did they know that all Americans in college can get even bigger and stronger when they get a little older. Now, Whiteley Jim needed a bit of help. There was an old custodian who took care of the place, occasionally dumping a, a bottle of pine saw on the floor of the locker room just to help it smell better. No one had a key to the place, so if you wanted to play basketball there, you had to go when the custodian was going to be around. When this pickup team, Bradley included, came into the place for their practice, they saw the custodian reading the Bible. This day, one of the seminarians, Floyd Brady, who was an All-American for Hope College in Michigan, went to this custodian and said, What are you reading? And the janitor replied, The book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Do you understand it? Oh, yeah, I understand it. You understand the book of Revelation? Well, then tell us, what does it mean? And very quietly, this old custodian answered, You've got to read the signs. 
It means Jesus is going to win. And that's all that matters to those who love Jesus. That's why, despite all of the turmoil, we have these words from Jesus, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption's drawing nigh. And then he talked about the signs, didn't he? And then Jesus said, this earth will pass away, Heaven will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And I think to myself, how in the world can that be? I can't remember what I preached about last Sunday. And I'm sure nobody else can. (laughs) Here we've got a few words. You know, I grew up with a grandfather who sold cars. He sold Willie's Nights, and then he sold DeSoto's, and then he sold Plymouth's. Every one of those brands is gone now. As a young boy, I could not imagine that these big cars were going to pass away. Not that gold and white 1957 DeSoto adventurer, no. But most cars rust. Does that mean that every promise that Christ ever made to us is one in which we can trust? Well, it does. Including the promise that no matter what happens, he will be with us to give us a peace that passes understanding. That is the kind of hope we need. I I wonder... Do you remember a television drama? It was about a nurse, a single mom. Her husband had left her with three children, twin girls, about 12 years old, and a boy who was 16. Her dad was in a nursing home in another city. He had a broken hip. He wanted her to come visit him. She didn't have the money or the time, and she felt very guilty. She had come down with the flu at Thanksgiving, and had really not stopped to get over it, and she felt lousy and tired and just plain worn out. Then the next evening, she discovered drugs in her son's bedroom, and there's this terrible fight. She cries miserably through the night, and the next day at work is a total disaster. She has a confrontation with another nurse. She loses her composure with an irritable patient. She kind of... Well, one of her patients that was a favorite dies. It's, it's just a bad day. On the way home, she passes an old brownstone church. Inside, she can hear carols being sung. Something kind of pulls her in. She sits in the back. They're rehearsing a Christmas pageant. Children are there. They're wearing... Costumes of makeshift bathrobes, and there's a manger, and Mary and Joseph. 
then all of a sudden there's something different about this manger. There's no doll. There's a real baby playing the part. And it's doing what babies generally do. It starts to create havoc. The baby raises one hand, and then it raises another, and then it begins to pull on Mary's nose. Then it starts to get fussy, and it begins to cry. And it's not a gentle cry. It is a full-throated scream. Nobody can hear the boy reading at the lectern. A woman leaves her pew and takes the baby in her arms. It has very little effect. The congregation of the children that are left in the front begin to sing Silent Night as they're preparing. And the service preparation is over. And this weary nurse feels energized. It was a real baby. Jesus was a real child. It's not just a story. He cried and he fussed and he messed and he caused his mother anguish. He was one like us. She thinks to herself, God cares. And it gives her a new radiance. She buttons her coat. She steps from the church into the street. And she smiles at strangers because she knew she could lift up her head for her redemption was drawing nigh. So simply. So Advent is a time for us to be on watch. Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot during the first Iraq War. After his 300th mission, he was surprised to suddenly be given permission to pull his crew together and fly the plane home. These young military men flew across the ocean to Massachusetts, and then they had a long drive to Newcastle, Pennsylvania, north of Pittsburgh. They drove all night When his buddies dropped Robbins off at the driveway just after sunup, he saw that there was a big banner across the garage. Welcome home, Dad, said. How did they know? No one had called. The crew themselves hadn't expected to leave so quickly. Robbins relates that When he walked into the house, the kids were half-dressed for school, and they screamed, Daddy, and ran to him. And his wife, Susan, came running down the hall. She looked terrific, hair just done, makeup on, crisp yellow dress. How did you know, he asked. And she said, I didn't. We knew you would try to surprise us, so we have been ready every day. That's Advent. It is a season for waiting on tiptoe because we anticipate our redemption draws nigh, that the kingdom of God draws near. If your anxiety is setting off alarms everywhere you go, it might be time for you to take a deeper breath and offer a quiet prayer.
And the next time you're at the airport, going through the usual dump and dance routine, just think of it as a great opportunity to demonstrate the opposite of anxiety to all of those stressed out folks around you. Give a kind word to the TSA agent who's patting you down. An extra hand to the mom who's trying to get the stroller on the belt. A smile to the guy who's checking your face against your passport picture. I always worry that they won't let me back in the country when they see mine. Let him look at you and then just make him wonder, because you're smiling, if you know something he doesn't. God's Advent people are like that. Thankful for the many signs that God gives us of God's grace and recognizing that we have an opportunity to return to God from our first fruits. Let us dedicate those offerings with this printed prayer. God of grace. Through prophets long ago, you promised a day when all on earth shall see your justice and righteousness. In spite of present appearances, we trust that redemption is drawing near. With this offering, we express gratitude for your undeserved love and goodness, and we commit to raising our heads to watch for what will be the fulfillment of your promise in Jesus Christ. Amen.
Please be seated, friends. Well, the beautiful flowers that you see in the chancel are to celebrate the lives and loves of Bo and Pat Keller's families, but also to celebrate Bo's birthday yesterday. And boy, you don't look a day over 29. We also give thanks and praise Julie for being at the console for us this morning. Thank you for sitting in for Dr. Frank. Much appreciated. We're also thankful that there are many members of our congregation who are getting the help that they need in various medical conditions. We're continuing to pray for Jim Hotelling, who has made the decision to have open-heart surgery. It hasn't been scheduled yet, but it will be sometime this upcoming week. Jan Buhlman, who fell right after our deacons meeting in November, is doing better. She's had some repairs to her teeth and to her shoulder. Harold McAuliffe, thank heavens, is home But he's not very patient about his recovery. He wants to make certain that he's ready for us on Christmas Eve to sing O Holy Night. We're hopeful for that. Owen Oldfield had a mishap on Friday at school last Friday, but is doing better with some repairs. And Chell Gilda, who also fell, has learned in that fall that she has an aneurysm. So thank God that she was able to have the scan and they're getting some preventive care to her. Dan Culp's son, Shay, has had complications from spinal surgery, and we're continuing to pray for him as well. And we give thanks that people have had marvelous Thanksgivings with families and have had an opportunity to return home. Thank you, Carrie. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks for the face of Jesus emerging through the sins and shadows and the sorrows of our lives. We thank you for the gifts of your Holy Spirit the faith and the love and the hope that we need to sustain us. We pray for understanding that things must break apart sometimes before new things can break out. We pray for a faith that does not falter in these times of turmoil and tribulation, a faith that looks up and sees the Christ and hopes for redemption. We pray for confidence and boldness in witnessing to the truth that in Jesus you make known that you do have the final word. We pray for those waking up, for those who still believe that human ability alone will fix the world. We pray for those who see and speak only gloom and doom, that your word of hope and promise might become believable to them. And we pray for strength and encouragement for those who keep hope and faith strong in the midst of pain and sorrow or injustice, those whose bodies give them trouble, and those who patiently wait for family. Now we ask that we might be a blessing and pray as we've been taught by our Lord, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, go out today more hopeful and share some hope with those who need it. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.